thanks for sticking around, everybody. Uh, my name's Harold. I do a podcast called Tunes Tunes Podcast here at the Tower Theater. We talk about uh, anime, music, things going on in the city. I've had these guys on my show before and wanted them to stick around so we can kind of get into the deeper themes of this movie and uh, some of the other Miyazaki movies. And so, um, yeah, why don't you guys go down the line and you can introduce yourselves and then uh, we'll get started. Hi, I'm Mike Allen. I, uh, wait, what do we, what do we have to say? Just, uh, I'm just a guy. Yeah. No. <laughs> uh, I'm a artist about town. That's it. <laughs> hey, I'm James. Uh, me and Mike are actually doing a Studio Ghibli themed show at the Speakeasy at the, in a couple of weeks. Uh, so that's probably why we're here to kind of discuss like our passion for it. Hi, I'm Daniel Bokemper. I contribute to both the Cinematropolis and World Literature Today. Uh, hi, my name is Caleb Masters. I'm the uh, editor-in-chief at the Cinematropolis, and uh, I love uh, movies. I'm also a film critic for the Oklahoma Film Critics Circle. And also, big shout-out to that uh, Ghibli, Ghibli show you guys have coming out. You guys are always doing a bang-up job on this. I'm super excited about it. Thank you. Yeah, if you guys have ever heard of uh, the art shows that go on the speakeasy, uh, these are the masterminds right here. Uh, the first one I went to, I think, was the Cowboy Bebop one, which was lit. They did a Wes Anderson one back oh, yeah. like, almost a couple of years ago now, and that yeah. was legit. That was my I first heard one. about that one. but uh, Yeah, so like these guys said, uh, you know, they have a real passion for anime, and so these, type, these two guys uh, have been on the show before, so that's kind of why I wanted to bring them back to kind of talk about Miyazaki, especially because they're doing the art show. And then... Um, Daniel and Caleb from the Cinematropolis have always just been super into film. So I just wanted to get their input as well. And so we wanted to talk about a couple of the themes, uh, some of, the, of our reactions and our opinions about this movie and some of the other uh, Studio Ghibli movies. And so, um, yeah, that's why uh, we just wanted to stick around and see who all was, uh, else was into it. And so we could talk about it for a little bit, but we're like really excited to be able to do uh, you know, recently Steven locked down the rights to a lot of the Studio Ghibli stuff. So shout out to him in the Tower Theater for letting us do anime. Super excited. But I kind of wanted to start off by uh, kind of, you know, addressing that parallel of uh, our first viewing of this movie versus viewing it tonight. Or even, you know, as recently as we've seen it, even if it wasn't just tonight. But... I haven't actually haven't seen this since the first time I saw it in like the early 2000s. And so uh, I wanted to just watch it again tonight to kind of see, uh, you know, how my opinion differs of how I first viewed it whenever I took that in. And so I was just gonna see what themes or things stuck out to you guys this time around versus maybe one of the first times you saw it. Yeah, the first time I watched it, um I kind of followed the, uh, I don't know, the main narrative of it, which is Ashitaka is the hero, San, San good, Iboshi bad. Um, but, but, you know, as I got older, I, I own this movie and I've watched it, I don't know, 30 plus times or something. But as I've watched it more and more, I kind of find myself relating more to the people of Irontown and Iboshi, in general, kind of her motives uh, make a little more sense to me as an adult. Um, I would say that's 
probably the main takeaway. And just different animation techniques over the years. I've gotten a little more into that. So um, yeah, that's about it. Uh, I think the first time I watched this movie, uh, I kind of watched it based on a movie review that I saw that said it was like Star Wars Phantom Menace. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so every time I watch this movie, if it's been a couple years, I always watch it with that, like, oh, this isn't like Phantom Menace at all. <laughs> and, uh, I kind of just reaffirmed that tonight. Uh, yeah, it's a really smart movie. It's really well done. Uh, it's really complex. I think it's uh, super good. So I didn't watch it for the first time, like in sincerity, except for like three months ago, I think, just kind of unprovoked. It was a bit of a blind spot. But when I watched it, I'd recalled that image of the, the demonic boar at the start of the film. Uh, and I remember it was like adapted and then well, censored and then put on like ABC Family or something. They were running it a really long time ago. And it terrified me. Uh, so I turned it off because I was really young. I was 16. And the uh, all these blocks, I can't understand what's going on. It's terrifying. <laughs> but then, like, like two months later, they showed Kiki's Delivery Service, which was awesome, and that was actually my first uh, Ghibli experience. Um, but then rewatching it, it it really struck a few different chords with me. And I think, and for a lot of people, I've noticed uh, Mononoke is a blind spot for them, despite being one of the more fantastical of Miyazaki's. You know, unlike The Wind Rises or something like that, it's, it's far less realistic, yet somehow it's always missed to an extent. Not for everyone, but a lot of people do. So, uh, But I got I caught it because it's definitely a more mature film, and I think it's better that I'm not, you know, scared of everything now, and well, still am, but, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's reasons. a little more palatable. Yeah, different different reasons. Way more scary things than that. Uh, so, interestingly enough, I actually... Didn't get into Ghibli films until I was in my undergrad in college, which is kind of weird because I love movies and just a huge anime was just a thing I didn't really get into until I got into college. And this was like my gateway drug back in, actually. And my roommate's like, you got to watch Princess Mononoke. It's like Star Wars, but not like The Phantom Menace at all. <laughs> <laughs> definitely said specifically not like The Phantom Menace. I was like, okay. His, his roommate's the one that wrote that review. Did they really say that or are you just messing with me right now? <laughs> no, he specifically, I specifically said, he's, I, he said, it's like Star Wars, but like anime. I said, like the prequels or no, 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 not like the prequels. What is wrong with people? Like <laughs> By the way, I actually don't hate the prequels, but another conversation. The thing that stuck out to, to me this time around, and I think I've probably seen it seven or eight times, I uh, bought it on Blu-ray, and uh, this, by the way, this presentation was stunning. I think it's the only time I've ever seen it better than on my Blu-ray at home. And this is a hugely influential film, and I'm actually glad that Daniel touched on how it's a blind spot because... Uh, despite it being a huge critical success when it came out, I think Roger Ebert gave it a glowing review, which really brought a lot of attention to the film um, back before Ghibli was a known household name. Uh, I don't think it was until Spirited Away got nominated for the best animated feature in 2001, 2002, that everyone started looking at Ghibli and saying, whoa, what's up with that? And that's when we get... Uh, John Lasseter from Pixar saying, let's bring, uh, who, is, who uh, is now over Disney Animation, he said, hey, let's, uh, let's bring all their films over and let's, 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 let's uh, make it uh, more accessible to American audiences. Because um, the thing about this, uh, so going back to what really stuck out to me was the fact that this is a really influential film. Uh, and uh, I know I like movies, but the, the two things that popped up in my mind first when watching this movie were two things. Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is like the, the score and the visuals. The music, like, yeah. yeah, specifically the music. The Koroks. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah, the Koroks. The Koroks that look kind of vaguely like the Nintendo Switch logo for some reason. <laughs> Not a coincidence. <laughs> Not a coincidence at all. Um, uh, and also uh, another game, recent game, Horizon Zero Dawn, because it's a game about machines and they, they actually get corrupted in the same way the board did or in the film. So it's just struck me how uh, the style and the themes, and even though those are video games, but it just struck me how much the styles between the score and the visual look and all of it has kind of transcended just anime and has not only influenced live action films, but also uh, stories in completely different media. Yeah, and I'm glad you touched on like the guys from Disney wanting to bring that over because that was one of the other things I wanted to touch on. Uh, is a super divisive point is... Uh, when we announced that we were doing this movie, every like the one question was, "Are you doing the sub? Or are you doing the dub?" And it literally like translated into people either coming to the movie or not. And so I thought that was really interesting because like it, any chance I get to see a movie like this on the, the like in a theater, it's like like I don't care. Like <laughs> it's not I'm not it's not going to keep me from you know coming to watch it if it's not in my like the exact format that I would want it to be in. And so I thought that was an interesting point. But it kind of begs the question, you know, what are your thoughts on um, for these dubs getting, I guess, more Hollywood actors? Because we kind of have some big names in this. And uh, versus like traditional voice actors, do you think that could kind of be like seen as uh, pandering to the American audiences? Or what? what's kind of your opinion on that? I think with this film in particular, they were, they were going for an American release um, and they wanted to kind of help that along. So they got uh, a lot of the uh, actors and actresses to do the voices in this. But I will say, um, like pre, pre-98, pre-99, voice acting, like dubbed anime was terrible. Like it was <laughs> awful. If you ever watch the original um, Akira dub, it's it's... Well, it's all Canadian. Like, they had to go to Canada to get a lot of the voice talent. Canada, back. Is, is it one of the dudes, like... Canada, one yeah. Of the Canada! Shows? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Like, a, like, Leonardo's, like, Canada or something. That's right, yeah. yeah. What, are you uh, from the Peanut Patrol or something? <laughs> I can't remember what he says. But, yeah, no, I think um, after... Like, this movie was, what, 99, I think it came out? Um, that, was, that was when there was a real big shift in talent and... Uh, um, voice acting, uh, and since then they've had voice actors that do a lot of things. Actually, um, the guy that does um, the narration at the beginning and um, the the boar god, uh, Keith David. Yeah, he he's a Frylock, right? And uh, no, he's not Frylock. He's a uh, he's the arbiter from Halo. Yeah, thank you, the arbiter yeah. from yeah, okay, Halo. Okay, yeah, yeah. he does so much stuff, you know, since then, but. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, he's in he's in a lot of wonderful things. Cloud Atlas, go watch it. Okay. <laughs> I do like that movie. Um, but yes, but since this since this movie came out, um, they they've really stepped up their game. Um, like Cowboy Bebop's a really good example. That's why I told you to to watch the dub here. It's re, it's really good. So I don't know. I don't know if it's pandering though. I really have no answer for that. There's still terrible dubs. Like they still dub things really bad with certain. Projects. I think Ghibli just goes out of their way to find good actors. Uh, I thought like, when I was a kid, I thought I they were trying to legitimize uh, the movie in a sense because I think a lot of people didn't take animation seriously at that point in time. Uh, so you see like Gillian Anderson or Jada Pinkett Smith or uh, Billy Bob Thornton. And you're like, oh man, maybe this movie is tight. Let me I should check it out. 
yeah, and I agree with that as well in terms of legitimizing it and reconciling if it's not pandering or, you know, making it legitimate. Not to say it wasn't legitimate, but the thing is, I, I think with the efforts that go towards some of these larger releases like Ghibli and Cowboy Bebop, that's less exploitative. I think the reason it's outsourced to, like, you know, Canada is because, it, you know, it's cheap, it's easy. Um, it's the same reason why we often, you know, American companies outsource their, their, you know, telemarketing and things like that. It's because it's cheap and you can get it out there and people can consume it. But is that necessarily a bad thing? Not to put uh, Steven Tyler of the Tower Theater on blast, but I just saw he sent out an email <laughs> regarding Acura requesting it be, you know, we have the subtitled version <laughs> available as well um, alongside the dub. Um, and because it is a very divisive thing. Um, when I rewatched Mononoke, I watched the subbed version. But even then, when you watch a subtitled film, you know, that's maybe as close as you can get to its original form, but it's really not still. You're still, um, somebody translated that. But you got to think of it in the same way that maybe if you're ever reading, you know, like Beowulf, you're probably not reading the old English version of it, you're likely reading Seamus Haney's adaptation of it, which is awesome and good and accessible, and it still retains that, you know, that quality. And I don't think with, you know, the English dub here, it's, it's lost, though there are weird things. Sometimes you notice it seems like the dialogue was rushed to try and get it to fit, you know, what was seeing. Maybe editorial technology wasn't quite there yet. And then with like later films, like Ponyo, especially is one that sticks out, has an excellent dub, I think. I think it's almost spot on. Um, that's not to say they did very poorly with what they had, but, but it, it, it's weird. It can take away from that, and sometimes I feel myself just feeling like things are a little contrived or unnecessary, maybe needlessly tangential just to fill the space you have. So it's weird. It's hard. There's not really a right answer, but I do think, you know, with Ghibli and their translations, they make a sincere effort to make something that's still very, very close to the original vision. Is it pandering if more people watch the movie Fall in Love and then go watch the subbed version later? Because I know I sure did. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. There's the, the not word, a right answer. The word pandering <laughs> is a, I, I, it's a term that I'm becoming less and less a fan of because especially when you're trying to tell these, these stories that are so powerful that can transcend language and nation, um, I think it's okay to take some liberties as long as that there's... there's effort made to have a seamless translation uh, and, and that way more people can see the story and then if they really like the story they can dig a little deeper. Um, I mean how many people started watching any anime here in the States with a sub anyway right like you you got hooked on really bad English dubs like Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z or Digimon or whatever and then you're like man this is so cool I wonder what it sounds like in the original language. So I, I, you know, I don't see it as pandering, and I think Disney does a, a really uh, exceptional job at finding the best people they can to make these work, uh, and they haven't let us down yet. So if I can get my sister to watch this, that's a real success, and I guarantee <laughs> you she would never watch it if, if I said, hey, and there's subtitles in Japanese uh, spoken, and she's like, what? No. <laughs> what well, if yeah, they think... replaced the beef jerky with like a Big Mac? Would that, yeah. would that be pandering? <laughs> that's, that's the worst fear. We're You're all really hitting the American audience here. Let's tweak that animation a little bit. Yeah. And, She's been uh, spitting uh, ticket nuggets into his mouth. So weird. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, start putting the brawny guy back next to the trees. <laughs> well, I think it's, uh, you know, when it's dubbed, uh, you have to remember some of the audience that it's being dubbed for. And I think you see uh, there's areas where 
people have really like done a great dub. And I think we've talked about Steinsgate being really good. Uh, just as an example, I don't know if you guys have seen it, but there's a lot of uh, things that are kind of lost in the American audience just because of you know them trying to literally translate. But I think Steinsgate is one that does it really well to where it's, um, you know, there, there may be something in Japanese culture that may, we may not understand as Americans, but Steinsgate, I think, does a really good job. And, you know, there's others to do a great job of like, well, this is like the closest American equivalent to that. And so whenever you see it done well, I think it's, you know, it definitely sticks out and it's top of the mind whenever, you, you know, this kind of point comes up. The, the reason I put uh, pandering was because, uh, you know, Jacob, Jacob's in the house. He can attest. No, no, no. I say you can attest to people literally being like upset that we're doing the showing the dove, and it's like really, like it's a weird. Just come watch it. Come hang a, out. Yeah, that's a weird thing about. I mean, every subculture pop pop culture fans has a thing, and with anime, <laughs> it's like sub versus dub man. If you're not, if you don't watch subs, you're not a real fan. I'm like, yeah. what? That's a, that's Tim Wynn. That's why he's not here. If you don't <laughs> learn Japanese and Tim. watch it in its original language, maybe you're not a real fan either. So know. you better start studying for about five years so you can watch all the anime. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think uh, all of us that have talked about Miyazaki movies throughout our like the episodes, whenever you're on the show, we've all touched on how there's always this deeper theme of you know man versus man, man versus nature. And I think uh, weaponization weaponization of nature is a huge theme here. Um, where do you, where else do you see this? Where else do you uh, you know it, may, it doesn't necessarily have to be Princess Mononoke. But where else do you see like these deeper themes come in his work that's like a top of the mind example? Like where else in the world? Any of his works. Oh, in his works. Well, he, okay, so Miyazaki is big on technology is bad, uh, how things used to be are good. Like, I think if he, he probably has a room in his house that's just like decorated like it's 1950, you know? <laughs> Because he always puts something in all of his movies where it's like, "Hey, let's go back in time," and uh, all this new stuff. Yeah, we don't we don't like that. We don't. That's not good. So that is very in your face in this movie, probably more than most of his other ones. Where it's like, the things people are doing to advance science and technology are horrible, <laughs> and uh, and nature is always good. You know, um, I, I you know I'm trying to think of a better example, but really. Um, I don't know if there is one, actually. Yeah, I, I guess The Wind Rises is kind of like, where he's like, well, I made war machines, and now it's Ooh, like... That's a, that's a good one, though, because that one, that, I, the way I like to watch that movie is, that is, because uh, it's about war, which I think is the other theme, the big theme here is war and the nature of war. And I think that, I mean, obviously environmentalism is a, a big underlying theme in most of his films, but I think the way he views war is one that sticks out a lot more, because... Uh, if you look at Howl's Moving Castle, you have Howl, who's like this guy who's going between trying to prevent this huge world war from occurring. Um, in this film, he's really exploring the folliness of it all because in the end, no one really wins. Uh, and ultimately, nature is going to be the... Ultimately, nature is going to be the judge, jury, and executioner, right? Because it's just that powerful. Um, uh, the Wind Rises, that's a really good one because he's a guy who has spent most of his career making anime, which obviously I believe he loves, but the, the whole film is about a creator, an artist, uh, as he viewed himself, 
uh, creating something that's being used for means that he absolutely despises, right? So, like, I get this weird, like, because it was supposed to be originally his last film, like the third last film he ever yeah. made. <laughs> um, I was like, the Jay Z, the Jay Z uh, effect. Oh, oh, what, this is my last. This is my last album. Well, I was, I was like, it was interesting for, for The Wind Rises. He's like, yeah, I made all this pop culture, so what does it all mean? And why are these big corporations using it make t- to, to make tons of money and say weird things I never said? <laughs> yeah, it's real. And I'm sorry, we just forgot when the order, I guess. But okay, either way. We, um, I mean, The Wind Rises is also about, and I think in part, Mononoke, it's about the perversion of an ideal or the perversion of imagination to have your you know, these inventions you create, this aviator, Jira, I think was his name, um, his machines turned into basically these suicidal and, you know, genocidal weapons to be, you know, used to facilitate, you know, the kamikazes, basically. It's it's really interesting. I think one film that parallels this one quite a bit, and I would probably nestle it as kind of the, the best companion piece, or near it, in another Miyazaki film, would be like Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind. I agree with that. I feel like... Um, for me, Spirited Away and Mononoke were the two jumping points for me. So I feel like those two movies are good like representations of the past he takes. So like for me, Spirited Away is kind of like My Neighbor Tortoro or uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. And then Nausicaa and Princess Mononoke are kind of the same branches and like these heavy conflicts. And they're less whimsical, but they're still kind of fantastic. Well, I think we have like a good, uh, there's a couple good scenes that stick out where you kind of see like, and almost an end to the resolution or to the uh, to the struggle. Uh, one scene that stuck out to me just now watching it was uh, when the wolf was stuck and like all the townspeople helped the wolf get unstuck. That was very visually like a uh, like a handshake almost, like them coming together. It's like an Aesop's fable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I definitely agree. Uh, kind of put you on the spot with, like with, with coming up in examples in other movies. But hey, you guys rose to the occasion. I know you would. Uh, the last thing I wanted to discuss was um, one of the, my favorite characters in this movie, uh, Lady Yaboshi. Uh, she doesn't, she's such a complex character because at points you're like, oh, she's really the bad guy. And then I think, was that you that said like when you watched it originally, you uh, thought she was like, obviously she's the bad guy. This guy's a good guy. But when you watch it again, you know, and really like taking in the entire plot it's like oh man like there's so many different points where it's like okay I could see where she's going here but man that's really like messed up what she's doing there um she doesn't seem to be fully antagonistic and so um she's really she's a champion of of the people and uh, she leads them to be industrious but it's at the expense of nature um I didn't know um what you guys thoughts on this were uh one of the other things I want to touch on real quick was uh how uh it's she's like a like a lady boss. Like it's kind of an interesting theme that stuck out in this movie too. Is that, you know, she's actively against the patriarchy. She's doing her own thing, and so uh, just kind of like adds to the how dynamic her character is. But what is, what's your thought on that as far as like, you know, her role and she's almost like an anti-hero type of thing. Yeah, I think. Um, well, I mean, she has all those spikes around Iron Town. That kind of is like there's a villain's lair. That's like visually something. But uh, I was just thinking, like, there's that scene where she has the letter from the emperor and she's like, hey, you know, can you tell what this is? And they're like, nah. And she's like, well, here you go. So it's like just a low key middle finger to the emperor of Japan. So it's kind of like she kind of does her own thing. Um, I don't know. Uh, Like I said, I mean, I. 
I find myself as an adult relating a little bit more to her motivations to for helping, you know, the sick and just the downtrodden and things like that. I mean, I guess that's I idealistic in a way as well as like saving of the forest, you know. Um, but I don't know. It seems a little more pragmatic in her way, although killing a god really isn't pragmatic. But uh, <laughs> that Pepsi that came out of the, the god will heal everybody. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I mean, like you said, I mean, it's it's obvious in the end that she she has is complex and uh, I don't know. I don't know what to say. Would you would you say she's more Thanos than Thanos? Oh, Ooh. I just made that up. I don't really feel that way. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Does she? All the Infinity Stones are iron balls. Just you know, random godheads. Collect all the godheads and then <laughs> you just shove the godheads on her little ring or something. <laughs> I uh, I don't really have anything to add to this. I really do think she's super complex. And when we put her, put this Miyazaki show together for the art show, uh, the original name for it was uh, what was it? Like Lady Eboshi of Iron Town. It was like or the, the complex the queen of Iron Town or yeah. something. Something really. We, we both really like her. Yeah, yeah we're both big fans of her. Uh, we settled on raised by wolf gods because I think that was more fun. Uh, yeah, that's all I got. Cool. Well, for one, yeah, I agree. She is an atypical antagonist. But but also, I think what's important to, to identify is the protagonist. Um, I just forgot his name. Atakasha, is that? Ashitaka. Ashitaka. There we go. He, you know, it, it's rare for Miyazaki to designate a male or a masculine protagonist. It's actually exceptional. A lot of the films that are Ghibli that do have male protagonists, they're not Miyazaki with the exception of like The Wind Rises and, and a few others I think you could argue, but for the most part, um, the masculine is not there. Instead, there's a focus on the feminine in this film. You do have two very powerful, more feminine figures at each end of the spectrum. You have Aboshi with the, you know, industry and progress and, you know, at the cost of nature, I guess. Whereas with San, you have the utter preservation of nature. I think uh, she, her ideology, ideology, excuse me, reminds me of, uh, if you ever read any Jared Diamond, he was a philosopher that wrote a pretty famous essay called The Worst Mistake in Human History. And it references agriculture, but by extension industry. If we didn't you know, commit to agriculture, we wouldn't have these problems with overpopulation. We wouldn't be meek, we wouldn't be feeble, which could be represented in the you know, the tenets of Irontown, while they're all strong in, in some ways, there's there's also a lot of, you know, weakness there in the, in the human condition. They're impoverished in a lot of ways. Uh, whereas San, you know, she's the only human living out there, but she is thriving in a way until humanity infringes upon her. And then you have um, Ashitaki. Did I mess that up again? Ashitaki. Ashitaki. Is that right? Okay. Sorry. <laughs> I won't call him Ashi. Because he's not that important to me, actually, and that's kind of the reason I have trouble <laughs> uh, remembering him is because he's kind of indecisive. His culture, his society, they're kind of a conglomeration, almost a, a joiner between the two. They're not quite as industrious as the rest of the human race, and thus they succumb to the conquest of others. Uh, but then they're also not utterly with nature. He rides a stag, but he puts a, a saddle on it. And the whole film is him trying to decide what's right. How do we make two, these both things work? He doesn't have the answers, though he's the most stubborn in his convictions. Um, he's, he's Miyazaki's 
fuckboy, for lack of a better term. <laughs> he doesn't really have any wisdom that isn't just has to be just hammered literally into his head. Like it, it's it's a little bizarre. But and I think that's an important theme is that you know mankind emphasis on the man. They're often stubborn and arrogant and unmoving in a lot of ways, and yet somehow they get accredited with both saving the 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 forest and and building up humanity again. So. I don't know, kind of, kind of bizarre, but, but yeah, she is a fascinating antagonist to say the least. I think uh, Akitasha. For me, the, the one thing I actually stuck out to me this time. Did I get it wrong? You, yeah, I got it wrong. Okay, I can't you. correct you because I, I forgot. No, it's already, okay. But. It's okay. Ashitaka. Uh, Ashitaka. Thank you. You want to know why? But I agree with Daniel because I feel like he's actually pretty plain Jane, and I think the reason that is is because he's meant to be an avatar for the audience, really, uh, because you're experiencing this entire. Because he's basically in this weird. He's off on the side in this really sheltered, separated culture who doesn't associate with the rest of the world. So for like him, we are experiencing this world for the first time. Yeah, Kevin Costner probably could have voiced him just fine. I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, Kevin Costner could have done a bank <laughs> job on that. Uh, Scott Eastwood, another great example. Uh, just, yeah. Uh, anyway, I, I, the thing that uh, really stuck out to me this time is that there isn't really a clear antagonist per se. The, the, the antagonist is human nature, uh, and that's represented by multiple characters throughout the film. Um, but with, uh, I'm sorry, I'm, gonna, I'm really bad with the names, guys. Hold on, I'm gonna get it. Uh, with Lady Aboshi, I think she could serve as an antagonist, but like something more so, like something like Game of Thrones or a lot of pop culture today, what you're looking at is characters who aren't really good or evil, they're more like trying to, to pass their agenda. Because I think we'd all, we should also miss, uh, mention that uh, Jigo is probably, I would say, the closest thing to a real antagonist because he's an opportunist. He wants to create chaos so that he can go and kill the forest spirit so he can make money, specifically. And he doesn't really, he doesn't really have any value on human life whatsoever or, or, or the life of the forest. Like, he, he, he doesn't value that a lot, which for me would, would be signs of, like, a, a true antagonist. But he's voiced by Billy Bob Thornton, so you're like, he's a funny guy. I want to have a drink with him. Let's <laughs> hang out, you know? Um, sorry, but to get back to the question, uh, Lady Atoshi, uh, Lady Aboshi, uh, what she does, I'm sorry guys, I'm bad with names, I told you. <laughs> Caleb was lecturing me on how to pronounce Mononoke before I, we came in here. I, I told you, I, I can't remember their names. Call them out I can't in front of God and everybody. I told you, I had to, I'd have to spell it out on my phone. And uh, Yeah, but she really, I think Daniel mentioned she represents the, uh, in, in the industrial, uh, in this iron town, which is really kind of amidst its own industrial revolution, uh, in a lot of ways by extension capitalism, which is like, hey, it's all about progress, it's about growing our culture, it's about uh, helping our people. But the one thing that she does that's really interesting to me is that she takes in all these marginalized groups of people, and that's what she really built her entire city off of. Uh, we're talking about lepers and prostitutes, the lepers, of course, to make the weapons, design the weapons, and the prostitutes to actually power the town uh, and gives them purpose, which is something they needed, which again, is that's a sign of a protagonist, right? You're like, huh, well, you're doing this good thing for these people, but at the same time, she's doing it specifically to fulfill her own very selfish goals. Yeah, so Some Machiavellianism, like means to an end. Right, yeah, exactly. So it's like in its own sort of way, even though they're not, even the nice thing she does, you're kind of like it comes with a strings attached and you're like, ooh, I mean, I guess it's still good. Ultimately, the result's still good, right? Yeah. At least for those individuals. But at the end of the day, yeah, I, I think how you feel about her character is going to depend a lot more on 
how you feel about her goals. Like if, you, if you're behind her goals, and the thing I love about this movie is you can be, and no one's gonna tell you you're wrong. I mean, I'll tell you you're wrong or right. But we, 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 can, all, we can all have a conversation <laughs> about it, I guess. And my point is like, there's not, I don't think Miyazaki, I don't think is bashing you over the head with saying you're right or wrong for thinking uh, this or that. If you're behind her agenda, then she is not really, I mean, she's a, pragma, a, a pragmatist who is uh, doing what she can to fulfill her goals, which ultimately will benefit her, her people. So uh, just, I, I love um, Miyazaki's epics because they're, they are so ambiguous and it allows the audience to read so much into the film. Yeah, I think it almost uh, endears it more to you and you feel more attached to it because you feel like whenever you notice something like that, like that's there for me, like I noticed that, so that's become my thing. And so it's just an interesting thing. Do you guys have any more thoughts? Uh, I got no thoughts. <laughs> uh, I left like a half-eaten meal at home to, to come over here. Okay. <laughs> That's a thought. I'm kidding. Did you guys have any questions out in the audience? I'm Mizaki's uh, nephew, and I have all the answers. <laughs> no, <I'm, laughs> I have no answers. No, we'll, we'll wrap up, guys. Thanks again for coming out. Uh, as always, you can listen to the podcast. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Google Play, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast. So thanks again, guys. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us out, Harold. Thank you. And come watch more anime next month. It's going to be awesome.